folks. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today, we're talking to my good friend, George McKenzie Jr. He is born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, but now lives on the prairie of wild Florida. I know y'all don't believe me. I'm from Florida. I know y'all hear that a lot. Florida has some amazing backwoods, wildlands, working lands, ranches, cattle ranches. I mean, it, it is it is as wonderful as a landscape in place in wilderness as anywhere I've ever been on this planet. And a lot of people don't realize that. And George did not realize that having grown up in Brooklyn. But when he got the opportunity to come down here through his skills in photography to work on the film that came out earlier this year, Path of the Panther, uh, he had a an enormous, unfathomable learning curve about what he was jumping into panthers and gators and pythons and swamps and and just everything that is here in Florida he that he had no clue about uh, bears uh, all that stuff panthers I might have said that already um, well of course the movie was about panthers but if you don't recall we had the director of that film Eric Bendick on a couple months ago to talk about filming this uh this this amazing documentary about tracking the Florida panther. It's a big cat like a tiger or a lion that lives in the wilderness of Florida, down in the Everglades mostly, that is actually expanding its territory. It's the largest mammal or the largest cat or the only cat in the world whose territory is actually expanding. Well, George was a part of that story and a part of this innovative thing called camera traps, which are basically just like a trap, but instead of, you know, it being a rope or or to catch you a cage or anything, it's a camera. So it's you, you, you trip a wire or a laser or something and it snaps pictures, but not just any pictures, cinematic quality video and photography. And so George has been all over the state of Florida learning about that. And his story is so unique, so different especially for for Florida and his experience here. He's just been an awesome advocate for wild Florida. Uh, He now does this full-time. He's an adventurous, uh, telling stories about wild Florida uh, and getting the word out there because there's so many newcomers to this state, uh, just like he was, but he has seen it uh, in, in ways that most native Floridians don't ever get to see it. So he's also a part of the Explorers Club, producer at Tribeca Film Fest, and just does so many things. So it's a huge pleasure to introduce them. And before we jump in, I am using today to announce that I have a new podcast coming out very soon, probably in the next month. It's going to be a lot more stories like this uh, about wild Florida. So be on the lookout for some announcements there. Super, super stoked about it. All right, let's dive in. Hey folks, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. You heard a little of George's uh, story in the intro, but we're going to dive in now a lot deeper. George McKenzie Jr., welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning, sir. How are you today, Mason? Good, good. You know, I, I was hoping we'd do this in person, but I was like, you know what? We'll do that. We'll do another episode at some point in person. This is one of the rare interviews I get to do that's not all that far away. You're like an hour from me right now, but you're in a totally different place than I am. Where are you right now, and where's home for you, if you if you could say anywhere's home? Right now, where I am, I'm on the Lake Wales Ridge. I'm on the southern end of it, in the Lake Placid Archibald area. I'm, we're, I'm currently speaking to you from an office that the company that I currently work with has an, uh, has a space. I'm at Archibald Biological Station, 
and that's on the ridge. And I call Lake Placid, Florida home, not Lake Placid, New York, Lake Placid, Florida home. <laughs> that's funny because I'm working on a big project in Lake Placid, New York with my day job. So the word Lake Placid is getting used a lot. But what is Archbold Biological Station? That's like a mouthful. And like, what does that mean? If you had to explain it to somebody that's like, what, what is that place? To me, it means Jurassic Park in so many senses of the word. And in the, of those words, basically, it's a biological station where they do a lot of studies on endangered plants and predator and prey mammals that exist only in the Lake Wales Ridge and the Highlands County area, especially on the ridge. Somebody else could probably give you a more definitive meaning, but you know, with my basic layman's kind of understanding of it, that's what they do. They study the demography of the plant life that exists in the ridge, how unique it is. Uh, they study the birds that habitat ridge also. They do predator-prey study, and then there's a awesome bug lab. And one of the foremost entomologists of our time, he still has a lab here. His main name is Mark Darup. So that's super cool. It's a really interesting place. I didn't, <clears throat> I'd encourage anyone that gets the opportunity to stop by and visit and kind of just check it out to see what it's about. It's really unique. It's a very unique place. Can you stop by? How does that work? Yes. If I'm not mistaken, they're open to visitors from Wednesday through Sunday. Oh, cool. I, I, yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, man, what's so crazy about this is I grew up not that far from where you are. Never knew about the place. I mean, there's a lot you don't know as a kid. There's, you know, your, your interests are different. I was into sports and whatnot. And little did I know how many cool things were, were there. But man, going, like going away and coming back, it's been awesome to, to understand all this cool work that's being done. But, you know, man, I, I know you. Like we've gotten to know each other. We were roommates in a in a hotel room for a couple days a few weeks ago. Yes. And so we kind of got to learn each other's story. But I know that you're not from that area. How the heck did you end up from Brooklyn, where you're from, mm -hmm. to what is kind of the middle of nowhere central Florida? Like you're out there, man. Like we were talking, like there's not a while while we were in town, you were trying to do all these things that you don't get to do very often because you're not close to a town. How did you end up there from from a place that's so different? So my journey started in Bedside, Brooklyn, and I am a black wildlife photographer from an urban area. So I basically specialize. I can tell you a lot about pigeons, rats, and roaches because those are the animals that I had access to when I started my journey, right? Oh and one day I got an email from someone who is the director of impact campaign for Path of the Panther project. And she sent me an email showing, showing me a position that they had come available for a camera trap tech. And I looked at it, kind of mulled it over. I'm like, I don't feel like moving... I don't even know where Central Florida is, so I don't feel like doing that. But a few a few nights went by, and then I woke up with this urge to do something different. Um, because as a black wildlife photographer, based from based out of Bedside, Brooklyn, I always 
had the assumption in order to tell great conservation stories, I'd have to end up going to the continent and kind of latching on to an expedition or something and them being able to do some storytelling. But when this opportunity showed up, I kind of disregarded it at first. But when I really thought about it, it was a unique opportunity. I was ready for a change. And I basically sold everything I could sell. Everything I didn't want, I gave away. And then packed all my bags, shipped some of my stuff, and jumped on an Amtrak train from Penn Station, New York City, to Sebring, Florida. And that's how I ended up here. I took a job as the Northern Everglades camera trap tech for the Path of the Panther project. And it was the most scariest, best decision I've ever made in my life. Dude, what? Okay, going from Brooklyn, I mean, how? And it's like, you're, you're, that's quintessential, like big city living, right? Yes. And like, what did the people around you think? Cause I mean, were you telling people you keep it secret? Cause dude, that's, you, there was, there's not a lot of people to look to as like an example of, hey, I did this too. No, there weren't a lot of people for me to look to, but along my trajectory, I've had some really good mentors and, you know, just talking to them and touching base with them. And, you know, they're kind of like, if this is what you want to do, just do it. My friends and associates, on the other hand, a lot of them were just scared for me because we're talking, I got down here December of 21. So we're right now, June of 23. And when I got down here, a lot of people were like, ooh, you're moving to the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of racism. You're going to encounter all these rednecks and you're going to have all these. <laughs> everybody was projecting. <laughs> everyone was projecting their stuff, you know, their mental image, their ideal, whatever the news broadcasted about Florida onto me at that point. Um, I don't get the calls as much as I used to, where it's like people will call me speaking hushed times like, hey, how are you? How's everything in Florida? Are you okay? You know, um, but to lead him back to your question, it was scary because you leave everything you know and you come to a place that's in the middle of nowhere. I remember the first day I opened up my Uber app looking for food and Uber, DoorDash, everyone basically said, we don't deliver to that area. You know, so that's why when you and I were roommates, I was like, oh, can we go here? Can we try this? You know, because I haven't eaten like that in like eight months. Not to say I live in a food desert. It's just very limited. It's a small, a small, quintessential small town USA. So I went from a city where I was just there a few days ago when I opened up my Uber app. I have a variety of cuisine that I can choose from anything my heart desires to Lake Placid, you know, um, Lake Placid, Florida, where you open it's like Wendy's, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Burger King, 7-Eleven, and I think Winn-Dixie or, or one of those other places, some, some unique place that you can only get food from down here, but like maybe 10 things versus 100 things. But that's how I ended up here. And like I said, it's... It was one of the best, scariest decisions I ever made. Yeah. I mean, it's like where you are, the biggest town around you is like 2,000 people, 2,500. It's 
tiny and all the towns around there within like a few hours, even just about an hour are about that size, totally jumping into a different world. And I know that, you know, people around you were saying, you know, be careful. It was that kind of, I don't know, you, you obviously didn't have that same level of fear, but was that kind of creeping in at all as far as like, is this the right thing to do? Yeah. So one of the things I feel like a lot of people don't touch on is, you know, the fear that we experience with situations. And for me, like I respect fear and I understand its role, but I can't let it control me, you know? So there were times when it did, you know, when you're driving into the swamp for your first time by yourself and, you know, you think you have everything locked in but now it's rainy season versus dry season when you made your, your path and you have to drive over these sketchy looking man mill man built bridges that are like maybe waters a little higher than you saw, you know, you kind of just got to feel your way. So those are the times when it's, it's crept in or the first time you're on a 20 foot ladder in the middle of the swamp, and a bull gator starts to bellow, you know, and you've never heard that before. It can be a little frightening or, you know, you see a pack of wild hogs making a dash for it. You know, these things can go, make you go, hmm, is this right for me? But ultimately, if I lived in that space, I wouldn't be able to do my job. And I really enjoy what I do. And I really enjoy the opportunity I had to learn and experience and I had some great teachers. So, you know, fear was the last thing on my mind. It was more about being competent and being able to do my job. That's where, that's where my, my true fears live is the struggle in trying to be chase perfectionism to a certain degree. Did you have a welcome to Florida moment that you were like, Oh, I'm, I'm here now, baby. You know, whether it be a gator or, or anything like that, it's, it's, when did you be like, I am, I am not in Kansas anymore. When I, my, I'm not in Brooklyn anymore moment was my first time in, my first time in Corkscrew Swamp going into the back country during the day. So I was there at, in the evening heading into like, let's say sunset night. And that was interesting. It was cool. The mosquitoes. I learned that's where mosquitoes generally, oh, that's what you're wearing. You're wearing feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. they kind of they kind of just laugh at you. And then they're like, okay, so we're just going to bite you here. But that wasn't my moment. My moment was the next day. I was driving back in with my trainer at the time. Her name is Malia. And I'm in the passenger seat and she's in the driver's seat. We're driving down this road. I'm like, huh, we drove here yesterday and I don't remember anybody putting a burnt log on the side of the road. And as we got closer, as we got closer, I saw this big gator. I screamed, I shrieked. I almost jumped out of my, not almost, I basically jumped out of the passenger seat onto her lap. She like hits the brakes thinking some emergency happened or something. I said, look at that big gator. And she said, George, it's not going to bite you. It's on the side of the road getting sun. The gator kind of looked at me like, really, dude? First time in the swamp? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I reminded Malia that every gator I've ever seen 
has been on TV or in a show or a cartoon and they walk on two legs. And I've just never seen a gator that big outside of a cage. That was my first time. And I, re- I gave him a funny nickname. I call him Big Tommy. And to this day, I still, I got a picture of Big Tommy one time. And when I'm talking to school kids and sharing my experience about being here in Central Florida, I show the picture of Big Tommy and the loving eyes that he looks at me with every time he sees me. Aww. So that was my welcome to Florida moment, meeting <laughs> Big Tommy. That is that is wild. So, you know, gators, fear of gators is pretty common. And, you know, that is definitely something that's here and it's kind of everywhere, you know, in this state. I just, you know, that's the thing is if there's a body of water, there's probably a gator in it or a gator uses it at some point. Um, anything as small as a ditch on the side of the road. I mean, literally, you can find them anywhere. What are some things that maybe aren't, you know, really surprised you, like weren't expected at all? Like I I had no idea this was here because, you know, Gator is is definitely something that people know about way out of Florida. That's like a, you know, iconic. What was something that was like, they have that here? Or I did not expect this to be part of this role. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Being Florida had black bears. The Florida black bear is, to me, one of the most intriguing and fascinating animals I got to meet, encounter, learn about, and kind of see down here. They... They, to me, are amazing to see how they they operate, how they move, how they how resilient they are also to a lot of the encroachment that we as humans put on them and their space. I had no clue Florida had black bears and some big boys and girls, too, you know, and the fact that they love the palm berries and they'll scale a palm tree like it's nothing to get to the top to get some berries. To me, the fact that they go up and down these palm trees so fast and they're so big. Personally, I can't do a pull-up, you know. I I, I bet you could. You're pretty strong. I don't know. I think you're giving me way too much credit. It's more in the legs. (laughs) Uh, You're a big guy. Like, you're you're a stout dude. So, there is... Yeah, okay. I guess... uh, You got, like, a barrel chest, too. So, that would be tough to lift. Listen, I'll say this much. Maybe if I was being chased by a wild boar. Okay. (laughs) You know, because I've learned that the bears want nothing to do with me. Panthers want nothing to do with me. The only real threat that I have when I'm out by myself and for my job, I'm out by myself, I'll say 95% of the times, is the wild boars encountering the wild boars because they can be aggressive, especially the young males. And they they roll in packs. They can be a little aggressive. So those are the only ones that scare me. But um, if I was being chased maybe by one of them, maybe I'll do a pull-up because, you know, their verticals aren't that high. So I feel like if that's the only way for me to survive, you you might see me do a pull-up, but let's not try to implement that. Only when necessary. So, you know, that's something else that you would probably run a lot into are, are pigs and hogs. You know, those those are actually scary to me. Like as a, as a native Floridian, well, not native, but you know what I mean? I was born and raised here. They've always scared me because of, of 
They're aggressive. They can be aggressive. They are extremely aggressive. They're the only reason that I would be, once again, I said worried or concerned about being out there are the the boars. But in general, they hear me before I see them. So usually when I turn a corner, they're like taking off. And I really haven't had that deadly encounter or aggressive encounter yet. In my job, it's better be, better to be prepared than sorry. Tell us a little bit about camera traps. Uh, you know, we've promoted and talked about the show Path of the Panther a lot on here, but we haven't gotten into like, you know, what is a camera trap? And what did you know about this kind of thing before starting? I mean, you were a photographer, but probably not in this way. I initially learned about camera trapping when I did my first big project for National Geographic magazine with one of my mentors, Charlie Hamilton James. So he would personally rig camera traps and he would put, he'd rig camera traps just out of necessity because of the kind of angle of what we were working on, or sort of we were working on what we needed done. So what we did was he kind of, he not kind of, he gave me the basics and taught me the basics of camera trapping and how to apply my lighting skill that I learned from one of my other mentors, Vincent Musi on how to do your composition, set everything up, have your triggers and everything. So that was my way in. Camera trap, Camera traps are a really unique way of getting the animals to take their own portraits in their environment without us as humans impacting them and their movements. So camera trapping photography isn't like the kind of camera trapping photography that I do. It isn't putting a trail cam out and... You know, saying, okay, cool, let the, let the trail cam kind of do its thing, just stick it on a post or tie it to a tree. That's that's a very easy way to do camera trappings. Camera trapping, the kind of camera trapping I specialize in is setting up professional DSLRs, lights, setting my composition. It involves a lot of scouting, location scouting, finding the animal trackings and kind of monitoring monitoring their patterns to then set up a professional camera and lighting system and have the animal make their own portraits, essentially, without me or anyone from my team being there and impacting the movement of the animal. And like in a cinematic level quality. Yes, sir. Definitely tweaking my lights. It's a, there's a lot of chase imperfection in this process. However, that's what I found is the best part, right? Like, I know I'm not going to achieve perfection, but I can come really close to having the perfect shot if I tweak everything and I completely, I come, every time I go back, I readjust or set it and you just hope and pray that the animal just does what it normally does. And I assume you have a handful or, you know, there's there's many out there in different spots and you got these full cameras and these waterproof boxes, ideally waterproof what was a moment or, or something where you get there and you're like, oh, no, this is not good? Let's see. Hogs, leading back <laughs> to the hogs. <laughs> um, that, would be, that would be that moment for me um, because th- they're nature's bulldozers down here in central Florida. <laughs> They'll come through and root a place and toss everything in sway. That was definitely a moment. Second moment was learning that young bears are very inquisitive and have a really keen sense of smell. And, you know, for me, 
at times going out to these different locations, a lot of them are hours away from me. So I'd normally grab some breakfast or lunch on the way there to the field, eat it, then go into the field and touch my gear with my greasy, smelly hands. And I learned real fast that young bears like certain things that I used to eat and they would go to my camera boxes and bite them looking for that scent, mm -hmm. trying to follow that scent. So that was a very ah, aha moment. So I know for a fact the, uh, that young bears love the, that maple smell that you get from the McDonald's. Um, oh, the McGriddle? Yeah, the McGriddle. Yeah, <laughs> okay, like, I, do, yeah. I do like a McGriddle every now and then. <laughs> yeah, like, so, you know, I'd like grab the, the sausage McGriddle and this is it. let me get two sandwiches, large OJ, you know, like smash one on the way into the field and hop out my truck, go touch a camera box and come back in two weeks and see bite marks. And they're like, ah, this guy, you know, so it's totally human error. Like, of course, if you take something sweet and that fragrant out into the wild and you know bears love that stuff they're they're looking for whatever you ate so those were a lot of those were my ah oh, this is not good kind of moments you know oh and rainy season really accounting for rainy season because you kind of have no no real perception of how this place changes a lot during the rainy season but the water levels really just shoot up everything changes dramatically during the rainy season from sunny season from the dry season. That's what I found. Yeah. There's kind of two seasons. I mean, I don't, I don't know what people say, but there is definitely a dry and a rainy season and it can be really dry where it won't rain for months and months and months. Then all of a sudden it's pouring every single day. We're getting into that time of the year right now. And you're on this project. Like, you know, we had Eric Bendick, the director of path of the Panther on, uh, I mean, this is a six year project. So you're, you're, you're you're involved for a couple years towards the tail end, um, but you're still seeing kind of all those times of the year. What was a moment maybe on your way out to the field or getting there where you really wish you'd have had the camera ready or had a camera on you? Did you see anything that, you know, wasn't a camera try? Maybe you saw it in person. I've had so many moments like that where you kind of like, damn it, I should have had my camera with me. There's this one time I was up on a ladder changing out the batteries and memory cards from a, a camera trap that we have about 20 feet in the air. And I'm up there and this big bull gator just kind of like crosses my path. And this was right after I, I shrieked and tried to jump into my trainer's seat when we were driving into the swamp. So that was a big moment for me because I didn't scream or fall off the ladder in fear. So that was a huge moment for me. That was number one. Number two, I've had moments of seeing some really cool white-tailed deer moments out here. And so it's it was just something that, you know, you kind of wish you had the, your camera for it. But also, ultimately, for me, I've learned that some of the best memories and pictures are literally something I got to photograph. It's just something I got to experience. So I've learned to become okay with not having my camera on me at times. I'm at peace with that. Some of them are just meant to be seen and enjoyed. And, you know, you call it a day, you keep going. That's always kind of, I know that's a tough balance for a, a photographer, especially someone where this is still new. I know you're like hugely experienced now, but this whole area is still relatively new. 
Um, I'm sure you're seeing and discovering things all the time. I, I mean, even someone who's lived here my whole life, every time I go out there, I'm like, I've never seen that before. And I know we've been talking about like what things went wrong. What was a moment? Cause I know when you pull the camera out a lot of times and you check things, you get to kind of scroll through some of the shots just, or at least kind of get a glimpse of what you've seen. What was like the most incredible thing you saw when you, when you're like, it's like finding treasure in a lot of ways. Was there a moment for you or, or, or a story where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe we just got this. Yes. Yeah, so to kind of go back a little bit, this has been a long project and it, I know it's, you know, really, it's like Carlton's one of his like lifelong dreams, I'd say outside of, um, you know, being a father and a husband is to be able to do this story for his home state and tell this amazing story. For me, I got in at the tail end, so I've only been on the project for about a year and change. But some of the stuff I've been able to see and get on camera traps, like the first moment you see like a mama, pan- a female panther and her cub walk into a frame that, you know, you've been checking for like six months. And then on month seven, you know, week four, this female panther and her cub walks in, walk into the frame and they both just kind of look at, look directly at the camera and, you know, you get their eyes and everything is clear and everything is composed and the lights work just the right way. Everything clicked. That was one of my wow moments. But of them all, the first one was seeing a male black bear walk into a frame for the first time and to see this big thing when the lights get triggered by his movement i he kind of freezes looks around he's like looking for the humans you know and then he becomes comfortable with the lights being there and then continues on his way that for me was the first time i really got chicken skin like all the hair on my body just kind of like went up it was just a really special moment for me being able to see that and you know document those moments and be there for those moments and definitely work on some of the scenes that ended up in the final cut for the movie. Those are really, really special for me. You know, working on this project, you learned a lot about Florida itself. What would you say were some of your personal, maybe biggest misconceptions about somewhere that isn't often thought about in this sense? And the reason I want to ask is there's a lot of people that listen to this show that I've just heard from over the years that are like, you know, I don't live in Colorado or I don't live in Alaska or this, you know, adventure hub or this place that a lot of people view as amazing. It's often misunderstood. Uh, And I'm like, hey, I live in Florida and I think it's one of the most adventurous places ever. And one of the cool, it's so much more than what's marketed out there, you know, beaches and Disney. Uh, And that makes me think about everywhere else that I might think is kind of limited it's probably not. I just don't know it that well. How did your view of Florida itself change, if at all? Oh, my view of Florida changed big time. In all honesty, I realized I'm more of a... I'm very comfortable living in extremes. It's something you and I talked about in the beginning, I think, before we started recording. And with that being said, Florida to me is so special and so unique. It's where I am it showed me it's definitely one of the last wild places in my travels throughout the world that I've been able to see. It's a very unique atmosphere. 
everything. The fauna, the flora is completely different. For instance, I I came down to Florida and I got to know what a ball cypress looks like and I can identify them by seeing them now. And I was walking through Central Park over the weekend with my girlfriend and I literally got to identify bald cypress in Central Park. Like, wait, I, I, I didn't know that we had bald cypress in Central Park. You know, in Florida, I often tell people, especially when I travel back to the Northeast, they're always like, oh man, how can you live there? That's crazy. You know, the politics, the things we hear. I'm like, yeah, Florida doesn't have a, 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 a great PR department. You know, they don't go out, they don't go bragging about, hey, come visit Central Florida. And all honesty, people in Central Florida would kind, kind of prefer you to stay away because then you'll know their secret. Right. You know, it's a place where you can smell the fresh air. You can smell the bacteria when the rain is about to fall and how everything is just coming up. Um, if it says 30 miles, it's a 30 minute drive. You know, it's not that crazy versus for, for instance, in New York, it says seven miles is going to be 45 minutes, you know? So traffic is really good. The left lane is for speeds that you want to go to jail for. (laughs) (laughs) The people are super nice, really nice. Let let me ask you that. Let me ask you that. that. That's, you know, you're you're not a typical person that someone in that part of the world's going to run into, you know, a black wildlife photographer from Brooklyn. How how have people treated you? How has been like what has been your experience with the actual human beings here? Uh, my experience with the actual human beings have been really amazing. Some of my the most reliable people, some of the most reliable people I have in my circle right now that I can honestly reach out to in a time of emergency are cowboys, you know, some cowboys and some crackers, some cracker cowboys and some rednecks. We, I've been so embraced and welcomed. I could say I have really not experienced the racist sentiment that's been, that was projected to me by others before I came down here. I've legitimately every person I've ever encountered has been super nice, super helpful. If I'm pulled over on the side of the road, like somebody will pull up randomly and say, hey, buddy, you okay? Is there something I can do to help? And I'm like, usually, like, no, I'm just trying to get a picture of the sunset or something like that. You know? Okay. But, <laughs> I'm just the, yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the cowboys are there. All right, buddy. Like, take care. Have a good one. <laughs> you know, it's one of these things where legitimately it was just the people here the people have been super nice and really welcoming and warm to me, very loving, willing to share their culture with me and what they're, what they're into and what they're about. So it's been a really, a really good process and a good time for me. So, you know, I know that not everybody's going to have my experience, but it's been a great experience for me. Something that I truly treasure. You recently got back from, I guess we can talk about this photograph. I don't know if there's like, you got to be, uh, what is it? Non-disclosure or anything, but you were, you were photographing the Tribeca film fest, which is this huge festival, tons of films, celebrities. You're kind of back in almost that more traditional photography sense and like event photography. Um, you got a team you were over, you were like in charge of all this and dude, that's like, 
just the opposite end of the world. Um, what, after being gone for eight months and into this totally separate way of life and separate place, um, was were there things you noticed about home being back after this totally different experience like that you just never noticed before? The bald cypress, awesome story, awesome example. I didn't know there were cypress in Central Park. Um, I haven't, frankly, spent that much time there, but I didn't know they were up there. What what else? What else did you notice maybe about the culture or about the people or about just the place itself through fresh eyes? I definitely learned. So the city has like a rhythm and like a heartbeat that starts. The city has a wake-up call about 7.30 a.m. And then the noise starts. You hear the people, you know, in the apartments moving around. You hear the bustling, the hustle, the bustle. The smells of the city are different. Like, because of some of the stories I've done in the past, I've been, I can walk by a, a house or a building and I can tell if they have a rat infestation or, or a rat problem. And, you know, it's been like, it's been a couple of months since I've walked by and smelled rat. Um, the city disposes of their trash a lot different than they do here in Florida. I am now the quintessential I'm now kind of like the tourist in my city to a certain degree. I don't walk with the the same kind of rigor and like that fast pace like I used to. Especially if you're not wearing that cowboy hat. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> I'm I was wearing the cowboy hat my first in my first couple of days in New York and my last day in New York. I, oh, I definitely wore you're it. Like, George, you've changed, man, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh no, I've definitely got some friends who've been like, whoa what's going on, but I've also, a lot of them have been like, man, you make it seem so interesting. We'd love to come visit. And to me, that's one of the ultimate wins because, you know, through my eyes, they get to see something that they wouldn't normally see about Florida and a part of Florida that most people, I'd say most Floridians don't even get to see. So that's what makes what I do and the places I get access to so unique and so special. Because for me, I would love, and this is me being, having delusions of grandeur, but, you know, what else can I do but dream? If through my eyes, it gets to inspire someone to think more about conservation and protecting our natural world. You know, so a lot of my friends and acquaintances, we were born in the city, grew up in the city, and the city kind of made us the people we are. So for me to be able to branch out and be in this space and be able to share these stories and inspire some of my friends back home to think twice about how they see nature and interact with nature, even if nature is that pigeon, you know, or that rat per se, you know, to see it a little differently, see it a little bit more unique, uniquely and understand that all these animals play a role in our society. Oh man. Well said. That is awesome. And if you ever got pure, uh, like a Brooklyn group to come down to that part of Florida and see it, what a, what a cool experience, man. That would be awesome. That would be absolutely awesome. Cause you're right. Most Floridians never get to see it. It is in a way the forgotten side of Florida and it's scary and it's scary for a lot of legitimate reasons. Uh, but you embraced it man, and you got to see kind of, cut through all that fear and see some really 
literally beautiful things that very, very few people get to, to see. What has been, from your perspective, just like the overall reception of Path of the Panther, the, this whole story all the, the, where your whole job was kind of culminating to, I don't know, is it, are, are you proud of it? I guess what I'm asking. Are you proud of the work that y'all did? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Oh, super proud. It's, like I said, for me, the opportunity changed everything for me, right? I got to tell a frontline conservation story in a first world country and a country that I call home. So for me, it was very special and it really reinforced something that I didn't know I was looking for, which is to be able to tell these frontline stories, these frontline conservation stories in America. You know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of photographers, a lot of storytellers go to other places and, you know, rightfully so, you know, people, there's a reason that people are in love with the continent and the amount of wildlife that exists there and the amount of stories that can be told. But just for instance, something a lot of my mentors have taught me, and this is everyone from Charlie, Vince, Ira, Dina, you know, you can only tell stories on what you have access to. And when you're working, trying to build yourself and build your portfolio, you kind of have to go with what you have. And what we do have is this amazing place that we get to call home that there's some truly amazing wild spaces that exist in America and being able to protect it and tell these unique conservation stories from a first world country. It's really special. And for me, I know that I'm way more prepared now than I ever was to go out outside of America and possibly tell more frontline conservation stories, you know, because of this experience that I've had in Florida and the amount of learning and expertise that I got to encounter and absorb from Malia and Carlton and all the other photographers that have mentored me over the years, it's, I can't measure it per se, you know? So for me to sit here and tell you, I am super proud of the work that everyone involved in this project has done. You know, I just got in on the tail end and to me, it was a life-changing experience. So how, you know, it's like, how can I not be proud of it? It's something that changed everything for me. It changed the way, it changed all my preconceived notions that I had about Florida. The people that actually live here, the people that I got to interact with, and, you know, just the whole landscape. It's it's crazy when when I think about it, like how wild Florida is. There's So you and I met, because we were both doing something for Live Wildly, which is the Live Wildly, which runs the Live Wildly Florida campaign and project. And Florida is so unique that I can go from walking through the swamps to going to a crystal clear like spring that I can see the bottom of. And, uh, you know, I can also make a left turn and go on the Peace River and go dive for like fossils, you know, not even dive, just stick my head on the water and scoop up some dirt and sift the sand out 
and I'll find like a mastodon toot or something like that. So that's how crazy Florida is. You know, like you, you can literally go from the kind of like glassy sands of the of Siesta Keys in Sarasota and go to like the Ocala National Forest and paddle through this crystal clear water and you're literally seeing the bottom and everything is so clear and it's so nice and so beautiful. For most people that are not going to see this, the actual video of this conversation, I'm literally smiling just thinking about, you know, the kind of work that I get to do and the experiences I get to have here in Florida. So it's honestly, it's beautiful. There's no two ways about it. With that and with kind of the change in you, what what do you think's next for you? Like what what future stories do you want to tell? What can you tell us at this point? Or is it a lot of, I don't know yet? In my dream, in my perfect world, I'd at least get an opportunity to spend another year being able to travel the Florida Wildlife Corridor and tell more stories about the corridor and being able to save it, the value of having it, and the value of it being the kind of place where the average person gets to understand how important it is to save these wild places and the role it plays in not just protecting the animals, but also ensuring that we as humans that exist and live in Florida get the opportunity to still enjoy the things we do. Like if you enjoy, you know, going to the, the springs and the different lakes and stuff like that in Florida and the national parks, you enjoy the Florida wildlife border, you know, and being able to tell more stories about that and how it exists and how it's something that we all get to use and enjoy. That would be ideal for me for the past year. I've been able for the past year and plus I've been working on a project and learning some, learning a lot of really good skills. And I'd like to put those skills to use and telling more stories about what I got to experience and what I got to see and not per se just tied to telling that one big story. You know, I've learned a lot, experienced a lot, and now I'd like to use the opportunity to apply the lessons I've learned to more storytelling and share more of Wild Florida as I get to experience it and get to share it with those new eyes. And because of how unique the kind of work is and the my niche, I get to share it with such a, in my opinion, much broader audience, an audience that doesn't necessarily get the opportunity to see this normally because of where I'm from and the things I've been able to do, the things I've been able to see. I have a unique social social media following and being able to share these stories with people that come from urban settings and let them know that just because you're from the city or just because you're black, that doesn't mean that you can't get into conservation. You know, conservation is not for just for the people that can afford to be conservationists. It's for everyone. I can't wait to see what other stories you're going to tell. But like, tell me a little bit of this, because you, you you talked about this when we first jumped on. It was like fear and doing things that are scary. And if you're a little scared, that's kind of that's a good sign. That's a good thing. What can you say to folks who maybe are wanting to make a change or maybe want to try something, they just feel like they got to do something new, something they've never done? And basically, what would you tell yourself that was in that position in Brooklyn with this opportunity in front of you? 
now being on the other side of it? I really learned how to become a white belt per se and know that I know nothing, right? And all my fears for me, I can't comment for anyone else, but for me, I learned that my fears were just my brain trying to protect me, trying to keep me, it's the resistance that's just trying to keep me into what I'm comfortable with and what I know. And I've learned that every time I've been scared and I haven't jumped, I've regretted it. But every time I've been scared and I've jumped, it's one of the most awesome experiences I've ever had. So for me, it's natural to feel the fear, understand what it is, and I understand where it's coming from. So what I enjoy doing is when the fear hits and it really, when it's really that scary, I now enjoy jumping into it because what I've learned is I either learn a lesson or I win. I don't ever lose, you know? So I would advise anyone that when it's scary, the scariest and you're so unsure, five, four, three, two, one, jump. You know, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You'll either learn a lesson, you'll learn something about yourself, you'll learn something about that situation, but you won't regret it. You know, you, you will not regret it. You'll be like, okay, that's what happened. But fear is literally something for me that's been driven by my mind, trying to push me to stay in that comfort box, stay in that zone that I'm very comfortable with. And fear is something that I've learned it's real. It exists and it exists for a reason. Yeah, you can reconsider it. It's never going to be the perfect moment. You know, it's never going to be the right time. So you just have to jump. And that's what I've learned. Jump. I love it. That song, Jump. Jump. Yeah. Maybe I'll play that as this episode kind of fades out. I'll have copyright issues, though, probably if I do that. And I don't want to, I don't want that problem. All right. Two more questions. Cause that, that sounded like a closer, but it wasn't. It was, okay. Florida is known for being freaking crazy, dude. Like just bizarre. Did you come across anything out there that was just insane? You know, we, we, we've heard from meth labs out in the woods to just airplane crashes to, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out in these Florida swamps. Did you come across any of that? Mm, no, I, I swear to you. I, I, I don't have any crazy Florida stories, you know, all the stories that I I can only tell people what I've experienced. And what I've experienced is the fact that 99.9% of the people want you to win, want you to have a good experience in Florida. Um, The most that I'll get any trash talking about is the fact that I'm a Yankee, you know, saying, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's about it. You know, but other than that, you know, people are really welcoming, very warm. I get to hang out with a bunch of ranchers. I'm a member. Oh, well, one of the most surprising things I could tell you this and a lot of the, um, your listeners, I'm a card-carrying member of the Florida Cattlemen's Association. Um, I went to my first rodeo <laughs> last year. I became a member. I photographed it. Some of my photos were used in the... Um, the rodeo issue that came out of where was it? It's in somewhere by Orlando. I forgot where it was, but yeah, yeah, Kissimmee, Kissimmee, where it's, uh, yeah, the Kissimmee, Kissimmee Spur Arena or something like that. 
I was there. Um, yeah, Florida. Man, my version of Florida is not the Florida that makes the news like that. It makes the news like every once in a while, you know. But my version of Florida is like super chill, really calm, really nice people. A lot of ranchers, a lot of, you know, good humans. I, I don't have any scary things to tell anybody. You know, I've met a lot of great people. I've had a lot of great experiences and I've learned that the animals really don't want anything to do with me. I did learn that, you know, if I'm swimming and a gator is swimming towards me, instead of panicking and running away and trying to swim away, you know, just dive so the gator can see your full body because gators don't chew. They just usually chomp. So that's why people tend to lose arms and legs because a gator will just grab onto one thing, do a debt roll and try to go with that limb. You know, so that being yeah. said, if you're swimming, a gator swimming towards you, you're better off diving, letting that gator see your whole body than to try to just kind of like swim through it, because that's when you your potential to end up in a death roll becomes higher because all the gator sees is like a little head and some flailing arms. You know, for all those people that tend to walk their little dogs by the side of the lakes or bodies of water, that gator's been there longer than you, and he's noticed you the first 10 times you walked by, and he's sized up your little chihuahua, and he knows he can just grab that with one bite. So, you know, keep the little kids and the little dogs away from the water edge because they're really good munchies for the gators. Um, but gators tend to, like, not want to do want anything to do with humans. A lot of the animals that exist out here know that their ramifications based on generations of learned behavior, they're large ramifications for tangling with a human per se. Well, man, last question. And uh, this is kind of more just call to action, but like, you know, you're a professional photographer. You know what you're doing. You've got this awesome job that helped to make this amazing film that I can't wait to see like what more awards it's going to win. Honestly, it's going to be, it's just, it's just incredible. Um, it's a work that will go down in like Florida history. Um, you're a huge part of that. It's awesome. What, what is something that like just the average person can do to help push this message along of protecting whether it's Florida or their own homeland? What, what can the average citizen do for conservation what's like one of the best best things to do to support or to 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 get more people involved what what would you say after your experience with with path of the panther so specifically speaking to the audience in florida i would say please slow down um if you think it's hard for you to cross a four-lane or two-lane highway on foot imagine what it's like for these animals when there's no underpasses or no other way for them to get from one side to the other. Uh, please slow down. Be conscious of the turtles, the panthers, the bears, that you see, and even the, the white-tailed deer that you see trying to get from one side to, of the road to the other. For everyone else that might not be in Florida, I encourage you to take a second, you know, sit with nature. Go out there and, like, really... Embrace the quietness, the calmness, and listen. If you relax for a second, 
nature will reveal itself to you. You know, just go embrace it, enjoy it, and be conscious of the actions that for everything that we do, it has a ramification on nature, you know. So using bug spray on the insects, we need the insects more than they need us. Without them, we don't get to eat. You know, like just being conscious of your surroundings. Please be conscious of how you dispose of things because, you know, a lot of insects can't or a lot of animals can't tell the difference between like plastic and, you know, something that else that they might be kind of munching on, trying to get food, trying to find sustenance. So just be conscious of how we use this earth and how we treat this earth. It's the only one we have. And, you know, if you're having kids and you're reproducing, reproducing in this place, just understand that you might want your kids to see some of the most unique things that you got to see on this, in this lifetime. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.